Hello, and welcome to the Expendable Men episode of Sleep Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. I'm Felix Salmon of Axios. Stacey Marie Ishmael is here loving the idea of Expendable Men. Delighted. Emily Peck is here of Fundrise, and you kind of like the idea too, right? You kind of think that we should be throwing billionaires into space because we can afford to lose a few of them. 100%, and I'll explain it to you in just a minute, Felix. So we're going to talk about billionaires in space and how expendable they are. We are going to talk about the Texas two-step, the way that Johnson & Johnson might be trying to avoid some of its tort liabilities. It's more interesting than it sounds, honestly. (laughs) We have a great conversation about work, expenses, meetings, all of that kind of stuff. And is it racist to ask people to put expenses on their personal cards and then get it reimbursed from the company. Spoiler alert, yes, it is. We have a Slate Plus segment on private markets, basically where people can buy and sell shares in private companies. It's all coming up on Slate Money. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, Emily, this was the week where everyone on Twitter competed to come up with the rudest thing they could think of to say about Jeff Bezos and his (laughs) 11-minute ride into space. And in true Slate style, you're going to take the contrarian point of view here and say it's actually not that bad, even though his spaceship really did look like a penis. Yeah, his spaceship looked like a penis. He had a cowboy hat on. Well, Jeff Bezos went and touched space. I was going to make a really dirty joke, but I'm not going to. (laughs) It's too early. He went up to space and he touched it and he came back down. And it was as ludicrous as you could imagine. And this was one or two weeks after Richard Branson did the same thing. And Branson hired Stephen Colbert to be there. And and Khalid performed after. And it was a big thing. And everyone, yes, Felix, everyone took to Twitter to be like, people are still starving on Earth. There are real problems on Earth. And billionaires are going to space. These the worst people in the world. They can't stay on Earth and solve our problems. They're going to space. And this is like rich man's folly. And this is just awful and they should pay their taxes and on and on. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, look, billionaires can go to space and it's fine. These men have so much money that going to space isn't what's stopping them from using their money to pay taxes or to solve climate change or do or raise wages at their companies. Like, It's just, it's not a real argument to just be like, they can't go to space because they have stuff to do on earth. They actually could do both. 
A, B, going to space is dangerous. And I feel like if anyone's going to take that risk on, it shouldn't have to be like a Sally Ride figure. It should be like Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson, which I hope their relatives aren't listening, but like I'm not worried about them. I don't care what happens to them when they go up into space. Like they're building these risky rockets. Who better to test them than them, right? Who better to take that risk on than them? The third thing I would say is, and this might be, I might be wrong, but look, going to space has some value. Like NASA has been behind many interesting inventions and technologies that have helped us over the years, like hearing aid implants or memory foam or aluminum blankets or Teflon. Or I mean, there's like, if you go to their website, has a big list of inventions. So maybe something good will come of this. Like most technologies start out as something that rich people use. And I hate to use the word trickle down. And I'm sure you guys can rip me apart for this in a minute. But like the cell phone used to cost what? $2,000 to have a cell phone. Now we all have a cell phone. Strangely, they now also Still cost $2,000. <laughs> but for some reason, that's no longer an obstacle to most people having one. And they're very important. It's okay. Like, rich billionaires can be absurd and go to space and risk their lives. And I just don't see why we have to, like, get all upset about it. Like, there's plenty of other stuff to get upset about. I mean, I get you get upset because of that cowboy hat. And the Times has a piece out on Friday as we're recording. And the headline's like, don't be a Bezos, and argues that Jeff Bezos is having, like, this midlife crisis right in front of our eyes. Which he clearly is. Surely. Like a dentist buying a Lamborghini. Jeff Bezos takes the rocket ship shaped like a penis to space, whatever. But bottom line, I get upset about a lot of stuff rich people do. And, like, this one... (sighs) So I think there are two different flavors of complaint here. <laughs> One is what I will call the Gil Scott Heron complaint, which you've talked ah, about. Yes. And which, as you say, it was all over Twitter. The The lyrics to Whitey on the Moon basically are, literally it says, I can't pay no doctor bill, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still, but Whitey's on the moon. And you're like, come on, can we get our priorities in order here? I understand that complaint, and I also totally understand your pushback against that complaint, which is this is not a zero-sum game. And if Jeff Bezos didn't go to space, he wouldn't be paying Gil Scott Heron's doctor's bill. So I can see both sides of that one. The more germane complaint, I think, is specifically about Branson and Bezos, and specifically not about Elon Musk, who is the actually successful space billionaire. SpaceX is a very valuable company that does actually useful things in terms of putting satellites into orbit and doing good things in space. Elon, you know, is a friend of Richard Branson's and it's all like, you do, you go, Mr. Richard, and go into space and have fun. But that's not his ambition. The thing that Bezos and Branson are talking about is this vision of humans in space, humans colonizing space. Bezos has this ludicrous idea of moving all of Earth's heavy industry into space so that nothing pollutes on planet Earth anymore. Or Elon, for that matter, you know, has this vision of colonizing Mars. All of this is completely ludicrous. All of this is incredibly stupid. At some point, we will have Manu Sardia back on this show, and he will be able to explain in chapter and verse just how unbelievably ludicrous and stupid it is. But the dream of putting humans into space is dumb. 
This is why we basically haven't cared about it that much for the past 50 years. Like, it was a big deal to put Whitey on the moon. But then we realized that space exploration is not something where you really need humans to do it most of the time. You can do it much more effectively with machines and robots. And this seems like a retrograde step to me. All of this effort, all of this money devoted to allowing someone to say, I went to space which has no utility at all, gussied up in this idea that like, at some point, humanity will break free of the shackles of gravity holding us to Earth. And this is, this is insane. It's never going to happen. And I think it's possibly harmful if people believe that's actually possible. Maybe they won't care about saving this planet we're on because, hey, we can just move to another one. But didn't sending whitey to the moon lead down the road to technology that is really important like satellites for example the stuff that spacex is doing so like maybe this space race the billionaire space race does lead to i mean you're saying it's stupid to think that like there could be some technological advances but maybe i just don't know enough spacex has technological advances for sure and people have been ordered the way that is rockets just land back down beautifully on landing pads and get to be reused. I 100% buy the idea of innovation and technology coming out of the space race. Mm -hmm. I am seeing that with SpaceX. I'm frankly not seeing that with either Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin. Right. But it could be that like Blue Origin simply existing and Jeff Bezos being annoying and like trying to start a little competition with Elon Musk helps drive innovation somehow. I can't believe I'm taking this side of the argument. But I mean, we do need to have innovation. And if it comes on the heels of people like that taking big risks with their lives to go to space, I say I'm all for it. All right, Stacey, you're going to give us the final verdict here. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend that everyone read a novella by N.K. Jemisin called Emergency Skin, in which she extremely accurately, as she often does, parodies and describes this conversation that we're having right now. Hilariously. It is only available on Amazon. Oh no. Wow. Like that was that was also the point at which I think everyone Smackdown. really turned about Bezos was when he <laughs> he landed back down and he says, I want to thank everyone who's ever bought anything on Amazon because you paid for this. And we were and all the like workers. Ah, and the workers. And we were like, oh my God, like you are saying the quiet bit out loud. Mm, completely delusional man at this point. Does mm-hmm. anyone tell this man the truth? Probably not. Still, I am okay with all of it. It's fine. I'm on record. Send me your hate mail. Don't send me hate mail. I'm very much kidding. <laughs> send it to Take Felix it only. Don't, yeah. <laughs> so send me the email for Emily and I will read it and burn it and I won't forward it on to Emily. Bad. Take one for the team, Felix. Good job. Exactly. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Let's move on to Texas because... My favorite state. It's where Stacy is right now. It is where the Blue Origin rocket launched from. It is obviously at the forefront of technological innovation. And by technological innovation, I mean clever little things that people can do in bankruptcy which don't even look like bankruptcy, but managed to avoid paying out lots of money to women with mesothelioma and ovarian cancer. What I am talking here about is this Reuters report. Reuters has been at the forefront of reporting on the baby powder that Johnson & Johnson has made for decades and that is made from talc. And talc is a naturally occurring ingredient that also often seems to be mixed up with asbestos. And there is credible evidence that there was asbestos in Johnson & Johnson baby powder, and that asbestos wound up causing mesothelioma and ovarian cancer. That evidence is so credible that a recent case in Missouri, brought by 22 women, awarded over $4 billion in damages against those women, and Johnson & Johnson appealed it, and it did get reduced to two women. There were 30 thousand women behind them who have already sued and who knows how many more after that because these things take a long time to show up this is obviously an existential risk to johnson and johnson and so what is j and j doing but they are considering this thing called the texas two-step also known as basically they're doing what's what under texas law is called a divisive merger now normally a merger is where you get two separate companies and turn them into one This is a Texas version of that, which is where you take one company and turn it into two, but it's not a spin-off, which would be a fraudulent conveyance. This is an amount of detail we don't need to go into and would be completely illegal under bankruptcy law. It's a merger, so it's not a conveyance or a transfer at all. And the idea is the J&J splits into two companies. One of them has a couple billion dollars to pay off the claimants and will then immediately file for bankruptcy. And then the rest of J&J just gets to carry on with all of its wealth and all of its equity and is basically untouchable by any claimant. Stacey, what's your view of how this is even possible in Texas? I have a lot of views about how things are possible in Texas. <laughs> this very much <laughs> confirms my priors, I would say. I do think it has been interesting. Governor Greg Abbott has been very explicitly pro all sorts of, hey, come here, do things, right? Whether it is launch your rockets, build your (laughs) electric car plants, file for different kinds of, actually file for bankruptcy, or in this case, engage in this kind of maneuver in a way that is supposed to convey Texas's general business friendliness. And that is part of kind of a years-long attempt to say, if you like money, but think the people around you are too liberal, don't go to California or New York, come to Texas instead. Or even if you like money and just don't much care about humans at all. Like the the humans who live in Van Horn, Texas, where the rocket launch took place, they just get steamrolled, basically. And SpaceX has basically owns a town in Texas as well. And if you are unlucky enough to be one of the humans in that in those towns, you just have to kind of vacate your home. Uh, Texas is regulation light (laughs) as it relates to the rights of individuals versus certain corporations, unless, of course, you're talking about trans kids and abortion, in which case (laughs) the legislation gets very intense. Or the right to walk around with a gun. 
any way you want to go. Well, no, that's super chill. You can do that. Like, no permit needed. You know what I don't understand? I'm just riffing here, but like, I was reading this morning again for the billionth time about Johnson & Johnson and how it is held up in like marketing classes as this example of a company that is trusted by consumers because once upon a time, Tylenol was tampered with and Johnson & Johnson was like upfront about that and apologized <laughs> for it. Blah, blah, and blah. Recalled and it all, yeah. Recalled it all didn't keep it a secret. And this example is held up like in case studies and like business books as look how trustworthy this company is for like taking responsibility. And now we're sitting here in 2021 and we're talking about how the company is essentially trying to escape responsibility for giving all these women cancer, right? Fatal cancer. And yet I never read about that in the case studies or the business books. This Tylenol maneuver lives on as this like legend of J&J. Case Why studies are, are written by the victors, baby. <laughs> and J&J is still doing all, I mean, their name is in the news constantly lately. $5 billion they paid to settle a suit with state attorneys general about yes. distributing opioids. opioids. And again, that was one of those things where they were like, we will not admit any guilt, but we will pay you $5 billion on the proviso that we never need to pay another cent ever again. We'll, so, we'll cap it at that. I just, I think someone needs to go back and amend some of those business books because I don't see why you're still trusting this company. <laughs> and we should say, like, both in terms of what you're talking about and also to provide Johnson & Johnson's side of the story, like, Johnson yeah. & Johnson Please. still very vehemently denies that like asbestos in baby powder caused any kind of illnesses at all or cancer or mesothelioma or anything so to your point about taking responsibility and saying yes this is on us and doing something about it this is that's the exact opposite of what they're doing they're denying that there was any connection and this is just you know uh and like i am not going to try and no, I don't want to sit here and, and determine which side is right. But all I can say is that almost regardless of which side is right, the tort cases, which are coming thick and fast against Johnson & Johnson, are an existential risk, as we have seen from Missouri. You don't need to lose too many of those court cases. And you really do have to, like the entire company has to file for bankruptcy. And that's what they should do instead of going to Texas and splitting up? Well, I, I'm not being normative here. Like, I'm not, I, <laughs> I mean, I think what they should do is a very interesting question. And probably the answer to that question on a moral basis really does rest on whether or not they are morally culpable and whether or not there was asbestos in this baby powder and whether or not they knew about it and all of these like empirical questions. On a purely financial engineering level, the bankruptcy maneuver makes perfect sense because it Absolutely. caps their liabilities. And most importantly, they get to file for bankruptcy more or less wherever they want in the country, which means they can find a friendly judge who will be more sympathetic to their arguments about asbestos than the one in Missouri was. And so that alone is worth probably hundreds of billions of dollars to them. And Texas has various bankruptcy courts that are seen as being debtor-friendly in that context. Yeah, Texas also, we have to ask you about this, Stacey, is the place that the NRA wanted to move to. Did I get this right? They wanted to move from New York to Texas and then file for bankruptcy in Texas, even though they weren't insolvent. And it was only the New York Attorney General who was like, no, you're based in New York and no, you can't do that, who prevented that from happening. Indeed. Their argument was, well, we're going to reincorporate in Texas because we have strong nexus 
to people with guns who live there. And this makes total sense. But from a, to your point, not a normative statement, what they were really trying to do was come to a state that is debtor friendly, but also has really interesting legal homesteading protections, which basically says if you're going to try to sue a Texas-based company, you have to show residency ties nexus to Texas, for example. And so it was very clever because you're like, okay, well, all these people in New York are trying to sue you. Please move to Texas and then you will have standing, right? Ultimately, to your point, Felix, the New York wasn't having it. But I think, you know, and again, this was something that Governor Greg Abbott was like, please come by. We're great. So I think that there is very much a series of attempts by Texas to be known for technical and financial innovation in a way that should probably get covered more, frankly. The number of businesses moving to Texas, being formed in Texas, being headquartered in Texas is amazing. And it's happening in Dallas, it's happening in Austin, it's happening in Houston. And this kind of what leading heart liberals who read Slate would call race to the bottom in terms of trying to give companies anything they want. And in this kind of zero-sum game of who's going to have the headquarters. Texas is doing pretty well on that front. Absolutely. Maybe it comes back and oh, I can only think in curses today. I don't know. Maybe it comes back and <laughs> you can curse and bites them because where does it bite them, Emily? In, in which the part rear, of their anatomy? You know, in the rear, just like Stacy's. <laughs> but maybe that liberalizes Texas even further. We've seen that in other places, right? In Georgia, a little bit. I, I don't think there's necessarily a correlation between rich people and. Liberal beliefs. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm the defender of the rich today. <laughs> I mean, Texas is a really, really interesting state because it is absolutely at the forefront of conversations about the tension between climate and environment and the political conservatism on regulation, which actually companies themselves are like, no, actually regulate us more because this thing is cheaper. Like this degree of predictability is cheaper. And politicians are still like, no, let's not do that. You have conversations about, you know, to Felix's point, you know, do you have rights to not have the environment around you besmirched? If a cement plant or something else moves into your backyard, what are your claims there? How are they thinking about transit Austin, where I live, there's been an endless conversation for years and years about like, why don't we have a train? Why don't we have better public transportation? And so I do think, and I agree, even more than the discussions happening in New York and California, it's a state that people should really pay more attention to and kind of be more thoughtful about in understanding how these dynamics are playing out in at large scale. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Stacy. Hello. You had a Big tweet. Tell me about your big tweet. <laughs> the big tweets. <laughs> capital B, capital T. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, 
I have, it might have been a week. I don't know what is time. There was a story in the Washington Post, one of their kind of work advice columns, written by a person who's like, I'm a director at work and my employer keeps trying to get me to incur thousands of dollars in expenses and then hopefully get it back later. And I shared that story with a reflection that, you know, as a in my own career, particularly early in my career, when I genuinely had zero money, being confronted with, Felix, we talked about this, like I moved to New York from London. I get a credit card that has a $250 credit limit. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to put moving expenses on this thing. I'm like, I genuinely have no way to absorb the first month, last month, endless deposit question. My employer is like, oh, you know, you just pay for it and we'll give it back to you. I'm like, you're not hearing me though. <laughs> like, like I physically cannot pay for this thing. And it just sparked this incredible outpouring of responses from people who work at very large companies, from people who work at nonprofits, saying, hang on a minute, how come it's okay for your employer to get what is an interest-free loan to them at the expense of employees' personal finances? And so, as I do, because everything is content, I wrote this up <laughs> in a newsletter for Fortune called Race Ahead, which I think is, as a connoisseur of newsletters, one of the best in the game. Especially um, when it's that, written by you. Absolutely. <laughs> to be clear, I'm a very good newsletter writer. <laughs> it was excellent. You know, that kind of went more into detail on this, which is, you know, there are so many ways in which corporations, nonprofits, organizations engage in structural and systemic discrimination through policy without even realizing it. And absolutely, some of the people who had feedback were like, well, I love my credit card points. I'm like, great. I had a $250 credit limit. <laughs> like, that card had no points. It had something like a 24.99 interest rate before penalty. We're living in different worlds as it relates to the conversation about who has access to what. To be clear about this, this is very much related to the income versus wealth the way that absolutely yes basically in white america if you have a lot of income you probably have quite a lot of wealth and you probably have a high credit limit and you probably love those miles you get on your credit card points and you probably pay off your credit card every month in and full. so you love this idea of paying expenses yourself and getting it reimbursed because it just gets you like extra warm fuzzies from your bank who give you points and miles and stuff like that. Lounge access. If you are a high-income black American, you're likely to have very low wealth. You're going to have much lower credit limits. You're going to run up against overdrafts and liquidity constraints. And all of these things that the white rich Americans like, the black rich Americans in terms of income often really hate. And it is a racial difference. And Stacey makes a great point towards the end of the newsletter, or I think it's the kicker, where it's like companies say they want to do something about racial inequality. And like, here's a really easy place to start. Change your expense policy. Don't have employees putting expenses on their personal credit cards. It's not feasible and it disproportionately would impact your black employees. So just don't do it. Issue corporate cards, pay them off for people and take that out of the equation. Yeah, and don't issue those corporate cards that are like fake corporate cards because you, the employee, still has to reimburse right. before you get that reimbursement, which is an increasing right. trend and frustrating. Thanks. And I think one of the other things about this is it's not only at the point of when you're already an employee, it often affects recruitment, right? So as we're talking about moving back to the office, there's lots of people who are like, hey, please fly to X mm -hmm. expensive capital for interviews. And I have personally known candidates who are like, I can't afford to buy this plane ticket and book a hotel and then claim that back after from an HR department that might ghost me if 
I don't get this job. And these things are often invisible to the people setting the policy. Because mm -hmm. if you are in a position at a company that's like, yeah, I come in for an interview, you're a hiring manager, you are often from a background that's like, obviously someone will be able to afford or ingest the initial cost of a plane, train, or hotel. Yeah, it's like the conversation people have about unpaid internships. It's very similar. Oh, like only a certain kind of person can take the unpaid internship. It's also worth mentioning that we are living in a world where, for very good reasons, an increasing number of people entering the workforce or looking for jobs don't have credit cards at all. There is this mm -hmm. idea that it makes a lot of sense, which is true, to not have a credit card, to do everything on a debit card. If you are in a world where you're doing everything on a debit card, then this all becomes even worse. The idea of credit cards is that at least if the company pays you back within the credit card cycle, you know, it doesn't hit you at all. With a debit card, you can get all those overdraft fees, you can wipe out your checking account, or you can be asked to check into a hotel where the employer has paid for the room, but when you check into the hotel, the hotel is like, well, we're just going to put a hold on your debit card for any incidentals, and that hold on your card can, again, cause all of the overdraft fees and all the rest of it. These are things which really make it hard to accumulate wealth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it really, I just loved just to hammer home the point again that Stacey made. It's like, these are the real steps companies can take to do better on diversity more than any Instagram post or <laughs> white paper or uh, rainbows, donation whatever. to an H. Like these are the real concrete work that needs to be done. And it's not, it's not that hard. Yeah. So if you think are is. listening to Slate Money and you have control <laughs> over expense policies, change them. <laughs> Take a look. Are we not going to talk about meetings? Oh, even talking about meetings makes me so sad. Let's talk about meetings. Emily, why are there so many meetings? I don't know, Stacey. I used to be a humble reporter and I controlled my calendar pretty nicely. And I would agree to meetings and calls, but then I'd be on deadline and I'd blow them off and everything <laughs> was fine. And no one asked of me to meet with them. No managers, no one cared to meet with me. Now oh. I am not in journalism. I am in a different place and it's a meetings culture. A lot of work gets done in these meetings. I work remotely. They're all happening over Google Meet or Zoom or whatever. And I too took to Twitter <laughs> because I, I wanted to know how like people get work done when it's like meeting, 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 meeting. And I mean, I, I did get some advice. Which was basically cancel all the meetings. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I mean, I could go through it if people are interested. But the advice is basically... Either like block time on your calendar so you can do work so people think you're in a meeting already. Like make meetings with yourself is one piece of advice that's pretty consistent. The other thing is like schedule shorter meetings because your Google calendar will default to 30 minutes or an hour. Like don't do that. Don't ever do that. And someone else just said to me, the meetings aren't getting in the way of the job. The meetings are your job, which was like, okay, well. The most demoralizing fair enough. sentence. <laughs> Yeah, so those are like the three classes of advice. And then the other thing is there was a great piece in the journal just about meeting creep in the pandemic. Everyone's working remotely and needs to like show that they're there doing work. So there are more of these like check-ins happening over Zoom, which is an exhausting medium. It is much more exhausting to have a meeting in over Zoom than it is to have other meetings. Stacy's former boss, Noah Breyer, had some good rules for meetings that 
Percolate. I know. I never worked for Percolate. Stacey worked for Percolate. <laughs> Are you on board with the Percolate meeting rules, Stacey? One of the things I, I always took away from working there, and look, I, I was there when we, st- I think I was like the 11th or 12th employee. This was a point of dissension between me and this one back-end engineer over who, who got there first. You know, by the time I left, it was like a much bigger place. It, you, it had gotten to the point where we had like a scheduling system for the meeting rooms. But the big thing was always, what is the least number of people that have to be in this room right now, right? And like, what is the shortest and tightest way that we can move forward with this? It was called no spectators. Don't invite people to the meeting unless they need to be in the meeting. They also had the 15 minute default that Emily was talking about. Which you can set Mm -hmm. in your Google calendar. So strong encourage you to do that. So, and then when we do go back into the office, if and when you start having meetings in meeting rooms again, rather than on your computer, don't bring your phone or your laptop into the meeting room. That's a great way to keep the meeting short yeah and as a person who like loves notebooks and writing things down i'm like yeah this is great i've got my my printout here it's all good but i do think that fomo emily to your point is a big driver of meetings right and one of the things i've been fascinated in terms of especially the ceo rhetoric about why we have to get back into the office is because they like knowing everything about what everybody's doing at all times and not being able to see people and make sure they're doing the job is really stressful (laughs) if you have a command and control management style Mm -hmm. and so these meetings start piling up not only because people are like i don't want to be neglecting my staff but also be because i'm like how else will i know if they're doing any work and that's a trust problem more than it is a meeting problem. Or it's a problem that's not just solved by meetings. A lot of meetings should just be a phone call. A lot of meetings should just be a Slack channel. Sure. More more Slack I mean, things. There <laughs> is value, I think, in... Like, I've worked in places where you never knew what was going on. No one's ever telling you what the strategy is, what the plan is editorially. There is value, I think, in getting together and, like, hearing about stuff. It doesn't have to be, like, an all-hands or something. But, like, it's nice to kind of know what's going on at the place where you're working. Yeah. It does feel right. but weird But why does everyone not- need to learn what's going on at exactly the same time of exactly the same day on a Zoom call with each other? <laughs> there like, are better how ways. Remember we talked about you not being a manager? <laughs> 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 this, this is the question that you ask if you've never had somebody be like exceptionally upset that another person found out a thing seven hours before, yeah. before they did. Like that to is know real. what's up. That is definitely real. <laughs> and I think the main thing is going back to kind of the rules that Percolate have, like people impose these kinds of rules because most people are bad at meetings, right? Like I had mm. a strict rule at a lot of places where I'm like, do not put a meeting on my calendar with no agenda. It's not happening. I'm not just going to show up in a room and then we're going to be like, so what are we here to talk about? Absolutely not. And that was both because I like to be prepared and because I hate meetings. And so like, if you're, if I have to be in one, I want it to be useful. And then you've got the power dynamics, right? I worked at a place where you might be working on projects that even your boss wouldn't know about. And so you very quickly had to get over the idea of I'm being left out of all the meetings. Because like, yeah, you literally are being left out of meetings constantly. And that's a good discipline. But again, that comes down to clarity about what you're responsible for, how you will know the things that you are responsible for, and how you will be rewarded for doing those things. One thing my new manager said to me, because I was asking him, like, how do I deal with this meeting situation? And he was like, don't do standing meetings. That's a recipe for agendaless, like, hey, Catch how ups. are you? Yeah, yeah. Just take those off and make sure you have actually something to talk about. And, and you can tell people I told you that. And I was like, great. In terms of the management thing, I do think that in well-functioning organizations, 
a large part of the job of a manager is to have meetings so that their Correct. employees do not have to. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. If you are not protecting your people from drama, get a different job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a numbers round. Emily, do you have a number? I have a number. I wrote it in a Google Doc because I ran out of index cards. Okay. <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> Seriously. Very traumatic. My number is 150. That is 150 euros, which is the amount each woman on the <gasps> Norwegian volleyball team was fined because they wore shorts to play volleyball instead of bikini bottoms. This was almost my number. The rules. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, these women were like, so the rules stipulate that women must wear these like skimpy little bikini bottoms that can't be any more than four inches Meanwhile, the men who play volleyball, their shorts can be four inches above the knee, which <laughs> that's a lot more material. And the only other rule for the men is that the shorts be not too baggy. So the Norwegian volleyball team, the women on handball. the- Handball. Is it handball? It's handball. Okay. Beach handball, which I learned is a different thing from volleyball. I apparently. didn't realize. Thank you, Stacey. You're welcome. Beach handball, they were like, this is absurd. And they protested by wearing shorts. They still have crop tops on, by the way. Like, they still look amazing. And they were fined. And it, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any change in this area. I will quote. The one and only Boris Johnson here. When what? the <laughs> when the Olympics were in London in 2012, Boris Johnson was oh. the mayor of London. And when he was trying to get Londoners enthused about the Olympics, because Londoners are grumpy and they didn't much like the idea of hosting the Olympics. And when he was getting into the full Olympics for it, his actual direct quote was... There are semi-naked women playing beach volleyball glistening like wet otters. Bah. Bah. This is basically everything you need to know about. Why does Boris, Boris Johnson, Johnson find otters attractive? <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. Like, why is that the go-to metaphor? <laughs> I have questions. Okay. Otters are cute. There'd be a Netflix show about that. A Netflix no, show absolutely no. about people and otters. No, okay. Nope, just no. an idea. It's free. <laughs> that octopus show is disturbing enough. <laughs> My number is $300,000, which is the amount of money that Walmart had to pay after they got found guilty of discrimination against a disabled employee. Um, this employee had Down syndrome and really needed a bunch of very strict scheduling and routine. And then they just started mixing up the routine and the schedule for no particular reason. And it all ended very badly with them firing the employee. And the employee sued and won. And the jury awarded a fine of $125 million. And this was a clear message from the jury to Walmart saying, like, do not do this. Your employment behavior is terrible and you have to stop doing it and pay $125 million. And Walmart sort of said, haha, under federal law, our damages are capped at 300000 So I don't care if you've awarded us $125 million. We're just going to pay 300000 and just keep on doing what we're doing. Great. Yay. Shout out to lawyers. Stacey, your number? My number is 363300 which is the new U.S. medium home price, which is an all-time record. 
And I found out about this because I have never really been able to get off the mailing list of the National Association of Realtors, who are like (laughs) the most... Someone should write a book about the ability of this realtor association to be just like effusive, optimistic, and enthusiastic about at all times. Like at the height of the subprime crisis, they were like, it's going to go back up. It's fine. Turns out... You can be right eventually. (laughs) So this is actually fascinating that Lawrence Yoon, who's the chief economist of the National Association of Realtors, lovely guy actually, has for the past, I'm going to say two years or so, been really sounding the alarm in terms of saying that house prices are too high and this is a major problem in a way that the National Association of Realtors has never said in the past. And even the NAR is now coming out and saying like, well, obviously on one point, on one level, you know, self-serving, and they're like, we should build more houses because that's the only way that we can get prices down, which is basically true. But also it's fascinating to me that they have basically moved away from their former position of home prices going up is always and everywhere a good thing. Now they're like, well, there is a point at which it stops being a good thing and starts being a bad thing. And that point is $363,300. I mean, we're really in the midst of an astonishing housing boom. I mean, from everywhere, there's like a story in a newspaper every day about people getting outbid on homes that don't seem In cash, like, straight cash. Like <laughs> homes in Idaho that are like $400,000 and are just regular, like little suburban whatevers are going for insane amounts of money. Yeah, so to be clear, it's a house price boom. It is not a house construction boom partly because of lumber prices, but they've come back down, but also just because of a bunch of constraints in the construction labor markets. We are building more houses than we have done over the past few years, but we're not building nearly enough houses. And the private sector... High-density housing. Right, and the private sector is doing not as well as it should be in terms of building like a large number of like multifamily dwellings and all of the other things that we need in order to be able to cover America's housing short. The way I always like to think about this is that you are born short housing and you need to cover that short. And you can do it in one of two ways. You can rent, in which case you cover it for like a year and then have to find a new way of covering your short. You can buy, in which case you more or less have covered for life, but that's very expensive. And we have whatever it is, 350 million Americans, and we need to, they all need to come out and cover that short somehow. And all of that money is chasing not enough houses. And you get this short squeeze, which is what we're seeing right now. People should listen to our episode with Connor Dougherty for more on that, I would say. So that's it, I think, for State Money this week. Thanks so much for listening. We are going to have a slate, wait, what's the Slate Plus? I've forgotten. We're going to have a Slate Plus segment about all the ways that you can buy and sell shares in private companies. We know how to buy and sell shares in public companies. You can do it in private companies too. We're going to talk about that in Slate Plus. We are back on Tuesday with a Slate Money Goes to the Movies episode with another one of Stacey's former bosses, Ben Smith. <laughs> is kind of... <laughs> it's like, how many places has Stacey worked? Let's get all her employers on the <laughs> Ben Smith, now of the New York Times, formerly of BuzzFeed, is going to talk about Citizen Kane and media moguls. And other than that, it just falls to me to thank Jessamine Molly for producing and to ask you to keep those emails coming. Slate at slate.com. And we'll be back the following Saturday with another regular Slate Money. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.